Good morning, everybody. This is Earthside Birth Podcast, and I'm Sarah Mori, and I'm here today with Kim Wendells and and Allison Hayek here with Baby Lucy. We're gonna quick introduce ourselves again, let everybody know who we are, what the players are, and then today's topic. I thought we could talk a little bit midwifery and birth centers 101. There seems to be a lot of questions out there about the safety and practice of midwifery, and we're here to answer a lot of those questions for you today. So again, I'm Sarah. I'm one of the co-owners of Earthside Birth and Wellness here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. We're the first birth center in the state of Wyoming, and we started in May of 2023. Kim here is our midwife, and I'll let her introduce herself a little bit more and what you're doing. Like Sarah said, my name is Kim Wendells, and I'm the one and only midwife here at Earthside Birth, soon hopefully to have a second. We were hoping is that we could change birth as we know it here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And then I'm Allison Hayek, co-owner and startup founder of Earthside Birth Center. And yeah, just happy to be bringing midwifery care um, to clients in Cheyenne. And how old is Lucy here? Lucy just crossed six months. Lucy's about the same timeline as this whole birth center uh, yes. project. So she's uh, <laughs> a little younger than the whole project. But. Allison was like, you know, starting a birth center isn't quite challenging enough. Exciting enough. I should also create a baby. <laughs> Birth a baby while we're doing this, but birth a birth center, birth a baby. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Exactly. Which one has been more challenging yeah. so far? Probably the birth. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just wanted to kind of touch on a lot of questions people have. I think that when most people think about midwives, we just don't have much education in the U.S. about what midwives can do, what they're trained to do, what they're skilled to do. And I hear it all the time, and I know when we do consults, you have couples come in, and nine times out of ten, the guy is usually like, well, I know she wants an out-of-hospital birth, but... But this sounds risky. This is risky. Or unsafe. Unsafe. Or, well, that's great, but what if something goes wrong? And I think that's a very big assumption, is when you are planning an out-of-hospital birth, you're just going off the hope that nothing's going to go wrong and birth is going to go great and you know that's how it works and people have babies all the time so what could either what could go wrong or you're just really putting your life at risk one of my favorite comedians jim gaffigan has a whole skit on home birth have you heard it maybe pieces of it i have he's funny they've had like all five of their children at home and he does this skit about it and he's like you know when we tell people we've had a home birth they're like oh I would have done that, but I wanted my baby to live. <laughs> what stood out to me recently, I was reading a birth center study, and they talk about, you know, in birth centers and home births, we only deal with low-risk healthy women. Mm-hmm. And so when we do studies comparing the two, often the question is like, yeah, but you're only taking the low risk. Well, it turns out 85% of the population is low risk. Is low risk. So 85% of women are eligible to have a home birth or a, ho- or a birth, center. birth center birth. In reality, only less than 1% of women choose that. And I think it's a lot of education of A, not knowing that exists. I remember being pregnant with my second and in a childbirth class and the couple in that class was having a home birth and I was like, a what? Like I had no idea that wow. existed. 
And the more they talked about it, I was like, man, that sounds amazing. And I ended up switching care, but I had no idea that even existed to even think about choosing. My intro to the different places of birth was a ba- TLC's A Baby Story. Yeah. Oh, really? So I remember that they highlighted some home birth stories on there. Mm-hmm. There was a, yeah, a midwife in New York State that they, that okay. they shadowed a lot. Which is kind of interesting that they even covered that. When I first started watching that show, I would yell at the screen. (laughs) (laughs) I was a nurse at the time, and I didn't know that there was an alternative, and I didn't understand that um, it was possible. Yeah. Sometimes they just made me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Back then. Maybe this is something you may or may not want to share, but Kim, as coming from a hospital, as a hospital midwife for a long time, What was your view on out-of-hospital births? Scared the crap out of me. And then it occurred to me that there might be a way to do it safely. And you all constantly tell me that my favorite word is proactive, and that's the <laughs> word that I use quite often, that I try to look at the client holistically, try to think about the things that could go wrong, and then I tell them that we're a team and that we all need to know the possibilities, the mm-hmm. risks, the benefits, and the alternatives, and that makes the difference. And I truly believe that. Has it taken me a while to get ready to do this? It has. What I had to learn to do as a midwife, as a nurse, I had to retrain myself to really look at birth and what did I not trust about it. And when mm. I answered that question, I trusted everything. So if that, if I truly believe that, then the other is possible. Yeah. I think even as a midwife and a lot of midwives we've talked to that are hospital-based lack the understanding that the, the skills and the training of these out-of-hospital midwives are the same. Exactly the same. Exactly yeah. the same. And what we'll talk about, too, is like what equipment we carry, what we do, what we don't do, our scope. And that's a shock to even people in that mm-hmm. circle oh, yeah, already. Yeah. Because yeah. how many midwives have we talked to that were like, well, I'm all about midwifery, but not out of the hospital yeah. or my maybe, favorite. Maybe I'd do a birth center, but definitely not home yes. birth. I don't think there's much difference between <laughs> a birth exactly. center and home birth, exactly. other than your car spool. Right. <laughs> right. right. And and just kind of like, okay, challenging that belief. Well, what's different about it? Right. Some of it's just thinking through like, oh, like it really isn't. But I think people believe even in a birth center, well, then you have more equipment. But not understanding that home birth midwives carry all the same equipment. That's correct. Yes. Maybe we can cover that a bit. So what are kind of the main medical supplies, safety things, you know, from to kind of a, to a, a potential client standpoint, mm-hmm. not talking to another medical professional but what makes, what makes, what brings that protect, that safety protection to and maybe, our Yeah, starting with like even the similarities or differences of our prenatal care. Sure. The similarities are that I have to know from the very beginning, like labs, and I have to know whether or not someone's healthy. And so I have very specific things that I have to try to adhere to, which is exactly what I would do in a clinic that was affiliated with a hospital. So your prenatal labs, vital signs, um, ultrasounds, just knowing and being able to say to me 
that you're low risk and that this is a good place to deliver a baby. Mm-hmm. Then once I have that, then it's a conversation that we constantly have every time that you come in that lasts about an hour where I'm trying to find out how are you doing at home? What are these things that you, how are you feeling? Do I feel that those things are totally normal or do I, do I feel that they're out of the norm? If they're out of the norm, then we're troubleshooting and trying to utilize things like food, water, just routine things that you don't think really has an impact, but it probably has the most impact. Mm -hmm. What we're used to is that a pill can fix everything. And what I want as a midwife who wants to offer choice is we go from non-medical to medical and we see where you are on that continuum and you get to choose. It's a midwifery is a little bit different model in that I don't consider this an illness. Mm -hmm. I consider it a wellness state that feels like an illness because you feel a little possessed because (laughs) of everything that's going on. But once you explain that and you understand that your body is serving you, then it starts to feel more normal. We have a lot of equipment in the carriage house, in the birth center, but you can't see any of it, which confuses people. It's all hidden away, but I know where every single thing is because I packed it, repacked it, repacked it, repacked it, (laughs) trying to figure out what was the best system. And for me, a labor and delivery nurse, since dinosaurs roamed the earth, that helps me to feel reassured when I know where those things are so that if I need them, which should be few and far between, I have an understanding of where those things are. So the oxygen is in the corner, the resuscitation bag is just down by the dresser, then I have equipment that for labor that's over on the left side of the carriage house, and then I have gynecological stuff, which is kind of like my office space. So you can see that I have all of the equipment that I need And it's everything that I used in the hospital as well. So yesterday I had a client ask me the question, do I know how to resuscitate a baby? It was, I thought it was interesting that that's always the main worry. Um, I think the answer, and I'm gonna be in trouble because I said, um, my daughter's been critiquing us, so I'm gonna work on that, I promise. Um, I did it again. What's gonna happen is when we're in the carriage house is that I assess as we go and I see whether or not you're okay I listen to whether or not the baby's okay and I make a constant judgment call whether or not I'm worried or not worried and if I am worried I'm going to talk to you all to let you know what I'm worried about and we go from there and we make adjustments but this is what I know that if I'm not using medications to speed it up or slow it down that if your body's doing the work, then in all likelihood, maybe 1% of the time, am I going to need to use any of this? Mm-hmm. And that's what statistics say, and that's what the births that I've done, which is many, tell me. When you, in that 1%, and that's what everyone's worried about, like what if it's that one? Mm-hmm. And reassuring people that not only do you have the equipment ready, like the oxygen we talked about, we use... Um, ambu bags, we have mm-hmm. LMAs, all these fancy things that we can use, pulse ox machines for mom, baby, AEDs for mom, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But then also midwives in or out of the hospital are constantly trained on resuscitation. So you want to talk a little bit about 
I know last podcast we mentioned NRP training, which is a big fancy acronym hospital and midwives use all the time, but you want to explain a little bit more about what that is and how you're trained in it. So NRP and STABLE, which both are associated with baby resuscitation, is a class that you take routinely. It's actually called a verification where we get practice in taking care of babies that might not might need a little bit of help when they first come out. But that's not enough because that's just every two years. So when I knew that I was going to make this change, what I also did was I went and became an instructor. So instead of just doing it once every two years, I maybe do it four times a year where I'm also teaching. Mm -hmm. Stable is also a class that looks at temperature, airway, and that's another class that I do routinely. And uh, and that tells me that um, that helps me to be able to tell whether or not a baby's having difficulties. Mm -hmm. This same client yesterday, she had written all of these things down and she goes, how would you do a glucose? How would you, and that's one of the things in stable. Mm -hmm. So we, I have set up in the carriage house, different areas that allow me to know where those things are so that if I need to do that, I have that capability. Well, one of the things I love about midwifery care is that we welcome those questions. Right, Perfect. like bring them on. Yeah. Like if you have, I want them to. I love the clients that come with a list because they're the ones who yeah. are. They want the information. They want to be able to figure that out for themselves, and we should want to give them that information. Like, yes. please ask me. It's not yeah. an insult. It's like yeah. great. No, you're no. you're involved. It's a conversation starter. It's a conversation, and almost always they're like, oh, like you answered all of that, and the more that they know. That's that you're right. prepared for that and not like offended. Not offended. That they ask that the better because it's those clients that are they're involved in their own care and that's important. So this client and her husband, she carries a book the way that you do. I use sticky notes. My daughter says that's ridiculous, but she carries a book and she wrote out all of these things. And I also, I have an education sheet that's about three pages long. I go, check off that one, check off. She goes, you have a sheet that you were going to talk to me that? Yep. Check off that one. (laughs) So it works out. But when they come in with questions, they're leaving what it is that they're worried about and what they want to know. And that's a better way than me mm-hmm. being the leader because I might not be hitting on what it is that they want to know. Right. I want to bring one specific example of what kind of safety mechanisms might look like at hospital versus birth center home from a client perspective. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any medical training. I have done a uh, infant resuscitation course as mm-hmm. a dual in a doula capacity, but for me as a client, one of the interesting ones was like how how will you monitor baby through labor, right? Mm-hmm. And so you uh, as a client, we have these pictures of a woman sitting in a hospital bed mm-hmm. with the two monitors, the pink strap and the blue strap. Yes. Thanks again, baby, a baby story. Um, <laughs> strapped around your big belly in order to pay attention to baby, watch mm-hmm. baby, see how baby's handling labor. And <clears throat> I didn't personally have a, a, like, I didn't have any concerns about how a midwife would monitor outside of a hospital setting, but what they do outside of a hospital setting, so my experience in my home births, is then the midwife or the student midwife would have the handheld, they used a handheld Doppler, mm-hmm. and um, would just every so often would check, would 
find me in whatever position I was in at the time, they would bend down, squat, yes. reach around a funny angle yes. as needed to get baby's heartbeat every so often Correct. and just be able to, um, you know, check in, see how baby's doing. But I really like that picture as a good comparison of hospital versus outside of hospital that, yeah, of course, the midwives are still, you know, checking on baby, but it just looks a lot more fluid the midwife is working with the mom's positions kind of mom whatever mom's doing at the time so Correct. i really like i like that as kind of a a good picture of a comparison between the, t- the couple settings so the thing about dopplers is it's no different than an external monitor i have to find a baseline i have to listen to variability which is raises and lowering of the heart rate I have to listen for decelerations, which is lowering of the heart rate, and there are several types. And then I also have to listen for that raising, which is an acceleration that tells me that there's oxygen and blood supply and that babies are compensating for what it is that's going on. But I do all of that in about a minute before, during, and after a contraction instead of over 20, 30 minutes or 24 hours, depending on... Mm -hmm. A monitor that's strapped on you. If I have any worries or concerns, I also have the capability to put you on a monitor, but that should be few and far between, yeah. if ever. But I have that capability, and sometimes a longer picture helps me to feel reassured or not reassured. I've used a Doppler through multiple births where it doesn't feel any different to me right. than what we do in a hospital. Right. What you're talking about is the fact that it's the midwife or the assistant doing the work rather than exactly. the client. Yeah. And rather than the technology. Correct. Mm-hmm. We're, um, we're yeah. not sub, we are first and foremost using midwife activity and midwife expertise and not relying on the technology as the first line of that's correct. You know, yeah. reporting or understanding. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Being a doula in hospital births and having women on the continuous monitor and them having to finally end up laying down because even when we're trying positions in the bed, the monitor's falling off and it's bothering and the nurse is coming in every three seconds to adjust it. Putting, like you said, the woman in the back seat. Correct. Instead of, I'm going to go do what my body feels like doing, we're going to figure it out instead of you having to figure it out. Well... And let's go even a little bit further with that. When a client has to do that, the pain increases, Mm -hmm. their coping mechanisms decrease, and then their wants and desires for some form of pain relief multiply. Right. Sure. And that's what happens in hospitals very often, where we now feel that we can't cope as a patient. And so we make decisions that we might not make. Right. If it were different. We have another support. That's correct. Right. And what I want you to hear me say, and what's really important, is that I am not here to bash how hospitals Mm -hmm. do their work. They do it with a purpose, and they're taught this way. And I'm going to tell you that I was taught this way. The reality is, is that sometimes, due to circumstance, you find other ways, which is what I've done. 
and what you all have done by being doulas and getting um, information about CLC and Reiki and that there's not just one way. It doesn't mean that it's a bad way or a good way. It just means that they're different. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that the reason why the birth center was created by Allison and by Sarah is that we wanted, they wanted to offer choice. And that's really important that I think that's the biggest piece of why we're all here. It's not that we think it's right or wrong. It's that we think that there can be another way. Mm-hmm. And it can be, there's the similarities of the safety piece. That's correct. You're not giving up one thing for the other. No. It's both are safe, and then you're choosing the different atmospheres. And kind of going back to touch on like the resuscitation, I just want to dive a little bit into like the difference of resuscitating a newborn versus, say, a six month old who's choking. Sure. Like, right. what are the mechanics of why it's different, and and how it's not just a it's kind of a simpler way of the yes. physiology of how a baby comes out and into the world. Fetal circulation is a funny, funny, funny thing that not many people understand. And it's just because there's no other being that does it other than neonates. So babies are built a little bit different, brand new babies, six month olders, six month old babies are like small adults. Neonates are very different and that's why they're connected to a cord. That's, they don't start to breathe, they don't start to oxygenate until their chest comes out of the vagina. It's a pressure difference that causes that to occur. So babies are respiratorily driven, not cardiac driven, which basically means that if I maybe give a couple puffs of breath at the most, that generally babies are gonna be fine. And that I just have to be ready to do that. So the deal of it is, is that for every single delivery, and when I say I, I really mean it's a team. It's not just me, but I'm speaking for me. So that makes it a little harder, but I also have an assist. So we're always ready to do that. So we have blankets that are warm. We have oxygen connected. We have the resuscitation bag connected. We're ready to do that if we need to, but most of the time we don't need to, but we're ready to do it if that's the case. Yeah, I think one of the big differences is when Baby comes out, they want to take the breath. Their lungs in the moment are filled with fluid. So the goal is to push the fluid out of the lungs into the body. Into the circulatory system. And that's what is the big difference. And so when you resuscitate a neonate, the goal is to push that fluid out of their lungs, right? Yeah. Aside from resuscitation, what are other big safety questions that people ask and are concerned about in an out-of-hospital birth? So yesterday, the same client was shoulder dystocia was a concern. Mm. Do I know how to handle shoulder dystocia? And would that be a concern for her? What I tried to tell her is I don't know, but I assume so with every single client that I ever care mm. for. And I'm always looking for that. The, and shoulder dystocia is a physics problem, mm. just where the shoulders get kind of stuck on that anterior or top part of the pelvis. And what it really means is that the shoulders just need to rotate to fit through. Mm-hmm. And I just have to watch for that. And there are signs. So again, that word proactive is mm-hmm. just a part of the vocabulary. And then the other thing is hemorrhage. We don't routinely do IVs, 
but I have that capability. I ask questions of every single client. Do they want, and I'm gonna use some medical terms, expectant management or active management. One is we wait to see if there are problems. The other is I don't wanna wait, I just wanna give the medication. And I used to think that I knew the answer to these questions as the provider, but now I turn it over to the clients and I let them decide how they want me to manage. Of course, if a patient was bleeding, truly hemorrhaging, I would do something different. Then that's my purview. I'm gonna to explain to you that we have a problem and that this is what I think we need to do. But these, use, I think it makes a difference in labor and relaxation and the relationship between myself and the families that I care for. Do I trust your judgment? Mm. Are you an adult? Are you? I think that's true. <laughs> and the reality is, is that yes, I have medical expertise, but the deal of it is, it's not my baby. It's not my delivery. And I think that when you have, and when you believe that I know that you have the capability to make these decisions, that something happens. You begin to trust me. You begin to trust your body more. You begin to trust the process and believe that I have your best at heart, that we as a system, as a birth center, as people that are doing this, have your best at heart. And I think that makes a difference. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we carry pretty much- Too many. Too many. (laughs) (laughs) Methogen, Pitocin, we have Cytotec, we have all the medications that you could possibly want. TXA, I forgot about that one. We have lidocaine. I also um, had a client tell me that she would prefer to do herbs. She told me that she wanted to do skullcap. So nobody knows what skullcap is, or you might not know, but it's also, um, it's a botanical, it's an herb that also works as a medication that might assist with hemorrhage. So I also carry all of that as well. Mm. I think a big difference that I've seen attending out-of-hospital births and hospital births is like you were saying, the active management of postpartum bleeding. And what I've seen is in the hospital, it's actively managed. Like we just treat everyone as though they're going to bleed just in case. But what happens is then if a client chooses to forego that, it appears that they bleed more because people aren't used to what it's supposed to look like anymore. They are used to what a Pitocin postpartum bleed looks like and it's much less then it gets treated as they're hemorrhaging (laughs) yes so this is what i know women tell me a picture of i'm doing okay or i'm not doing okay and that there are signs and symptoms that i need Mm -hmm. to look for i would like to tell you that every single person behaves in the same way but that's not true But there are things that I can look for, like I'm feeling faint, or the uterus isn't firm. There, I take other courses and I teach other courses that help me to know what the main reasons for things are. Mm -hmm. The main reasons for hemorrhage are tone, tissue, trauma, thrombin. The biggest one is tone, which is 80% of the time, which means that I need to assess and reassess to see, and, it it just happens when you've been doing this as long as I've been doing it's not about tasks which is basically what nursing 
and no nurses and medical people worry about the most. It's about assessing the client, having them speak to you, them telling you the words that you need to know and you listening and that cues you into what it is that's occurring. Mm -hmm. Most I tell clients all the time that I can't text with them if I'm worried about something. I have to hear the words that they say. I have to hear the sentences and how they choose to use them. I have to hear what's happening as they use them because it, it tells me a story. Mm-hmm. And that's how I assess and I find out whether or not I'm worried or not worried which means do I need more information. It's a nursing thing, it's a midwifery thing, it's a little odd. However, it's how midwives, how nurses tend to take care of clients, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different than the medical model, Mm -hmm. which is basically built into where there's one thing, there's more. (laughs) Right. It's definitely the assumption, like you mentioned in the beginning, the disease continuum versus Correct. the wellness continuum. Correct. And being in hospital labors where I've literally had providers walk in and say, well, things are going fine so far. <laughs> it's just like we're just expecting a disaster at any moment, and we can't even like totally trust what's happening in the moment. It's amazing to watch how that affects women. And I'm like, she's doing great right now. This is amazing. Like we are doing well. And kind of one of the things I love about midwifery care is again, the wellness, like we're here kind of with the safety net still, but treating that as like, this is normal. And then kind of going back to some of the prenatal stuff of we're doing the weight checks, we're doing yes. blood pressures, we're doing yes. urine, we do blood draws, we um, order ultrasounds just to make sure everything's good. I do repairs. That's the you other thing repairs. that people think yep. that I don't do. Yeah. I don't do fourth degrees, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm not a surgeon, mm-hmm. and you need your bottom to work yes. for the rest of your life. <laughs> so I could certainly get that education, and I've thought about it, but what I choose not to do is I want to know my boundaries as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important that a surgeon repair that. Yeah. yeah. So that's just my thought. And when we let women move around in labor and push in positions that work for them, we also have a much lower likelihood of tearing to In 11 with. years, I've never had one, but okay. Right. <laughs> a degree. Correct. Yeah. 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 The midwives I've worked with too, it's like they want to work hard to yeah. like they don't really want to stay around and suture either. So they're doing a lot of proactive work to prevent that in the first place because it takes longer and... Well, and you're using the body to its best capacity and helping the client to push to allow the vagina to do the work that it needs to do is a better way my thought to keep the anatomy intact Mm -hmm. and so you let it stretch it's a slow push you try not to blast a baby out of there and time is not the point of measurement Mm -hmm. and most of the time that works i'm going to tell you all the time it has for me yeah (laughs) so allison when you guys first chose an out-of-hospital birth were there any 
concerns especially that Jonathan had or was he totally on board? Just the these normal concerns that we've covered. So just learning the fact of learning that our home birth midwife at the time would carry oxygen, would carry any of the anti-hemorrhage drugs, mm-hmm. um, the neonatal resuscitation training. I think that pretty much um, helped him to feel to feel comfortable with it from the beginning. Nice. Yeah, just having that conversation. And most midwives, including us, offer a free consult so people can come in, ask these questions. At the same time, we're asking them the questions to risk them in or out of our care. And that's a big one, too, that, you know, we are looking at health histories, looking at things that they may be on or taking or whatever get go is we're doing risk assessment risk assessment and we have to as a birth center that that's my main job mm-hmm. is to figure out whether or not I feel that the risk is low which is what birth centers do what I try and do is to review the history that um, clients have sent to me talk to them and just ask, actually it's about four or five questions that help me to know. Mm -hmm. We also have guidelines from the state as well as the guidelines that we've set up, as well as we go through AABC and they help me to understand the guidelines as well. Like cigarette smoking is a risk. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably you're going to have some type of, and I'm gonna again use a medical term, intrauterine growth restriction, Mm -hmm. SGA, so if you're a, if you quit smoking, you can certainly come to the birth center. But if you're a continued smoker, then I would have to risk you out. So these are questions that I have to ask and that help me to decide whether or not we're a good fit. And that's really one of the main things that I do. But the other is is that you get to come and talk to me and Mm -hmm. see if I'm a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Talk about the birth center itself. You get to come and look at the carriage house where we have the birth center and to decide whether or not you like it or not. And mostly, again, it's about choice. It's about whether or not you feel comfortable once you've met me, once you've seen the carriage house, and once we've had a chat, whether or not, you know, this is a good fit for you. And that's a part of your work and a part of the work that I have to do as the midwife here at the birth center. Mm -hmm. There's one other question that I get asked a lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is, how can I deliver here? How, what position can I deliver in here? Uh. Mm -hmm. And then when I say, what position do you want to deliver in? (laughs) Mm -hmm. They go, I don't know. What are the choices? (laughs) (laughs) So in a hospital birth, um, what we know to be true is that most people are in a laid back position with their knees up to their chest. And actually that's not the best position to deliver a baby in, that it actually closes the pelvis and makes it harder. But the reality is, is that we think that there's only one way to do this. So when I give information that says, I don't know where, how you want to birth, you're okay with any way? I go, babies come out all kinds of ways. It doesn't matter to me. That's a little confusing. Right. What I want you to hear me say is I trust that you will know when it's time to deliver what that looks like for you. And it might change. Maybe you try one way, the way that you thought that you might want to deliver and you don't like it. Or maybe mm-hmm. your baby's in one position and that feels difficult to you. Yeah. So I follow you around the carriage house until you decide. Right. And that's okay. Again, this is about choice. 
This is about your day, your way, and how you want to go about this. Mm -hmm. And for me to tell you how to birth is not my role. Your body will tell you, and I trust that that will work. If it doesn't work, I'll give you more information, but most of the time it does. And most people think that you stay in one position the whole time that you're pushing. Yeah. And that's just not true either. Right. So the hard piece here is tell me, let's try, and let's give it a go. Yeah. I like how you said, you know, when we all have this picture too. I remember, like, I really wanted to squat squat my baby out four babies later like I never squatted a single baby out like tried the first one I'm like that was so intense I did not like it there's a lot of pressure in that position whoa yeah I was like okay no 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 and then a few others it was I mean it ended up being where I ended up being it was there was no thought process involved but being able to move around you're naturally seeking that so especially by the end of labor you're totally in your primal body That's correct. to that. You're not like, okay, now what would I like to do? I, I call it your animal brain, but yeah. Because <laughs> we go into a space that we just might not know exists. We have mm-hmm. to. It's just how it works. So sometimes we're not aware of what we're doing, but our body tells us what to do. Yeah. One thing that I love that we're offering is water births, and I will probably do a whole podcast on water births and talking about that. A great way to, we will catch babies in the water, mm-hmm. but not, you know, just as many people who are like, I'm going to have a baby in the water end up coming out of the That's water correct. because they either it slows labor down sometimes. They didn't expect to like it as much, but they get in the water, they're like, oh no, I'm, I'm not moving. Right. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> I'll try it and then yep, yeah. I'm here. Well, thank you for talking about like some of these questions that lots of people have and hopefully this helps our listeners learn a little bit more and be able to educate other people around them too. But we always welcome questions and one of the points of this podcast is for our clients and friends and family to bring us some questions if you want answered. We'd love to talk about them. And we'll be sharing this podcast on our Facebook group as well as it's available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you.